what's helpful perhaps to know is that um, the Buddha basically was teaching about the human experience. He wasn't uh, establishing a religion. So really what we're talking about is a, uh, a deep tradition of looking at the human mind, looking at the human body-mind, the whole human experience, and saying, what's going on? Why is, why is life so much suffering, and is there anything we can do about it? And it really is that basic. So if we're going to talk about human suffering, you know, we absolutely must include the relational, the interpersonal. And to go to the core of the issue and not deal basically with window dressing, we need some way of getting beneath the surface of our own hearts. Some way that is explicitly, intentionally opening to that um, essential relationality. The message, however, that we can really use here, now, tonight, is that our interpersonal relationships are an essential aspect of our happiness and stress in life because we are essentially relational. It's not an add-on, understand? It's basic. So, there's something quite beautiful that's available to us, is to see things as they actually are. To actually learn to look within. When we're on our own, individually, in silence, we could learn to meditate, to just let the body-mind calm down and see what's going on. And now we come back to Insight Dialogue to learn to be present to this internal experience at the same time that I'm in relationship with others. So you might say an interpersonal mindfulness. Because just by looking, just by being aware of most of this stuff, just by, by being present, it begins to diminish. The heart begins to calm down. The body, actually, the fewer stress hormones in the, in the bloodstream when we cultivate meditation. The activity of this overactive brain begins to diminish. And if we can engage in this way, have that kind of practice while we're with other people, 
you will see better what's going on. And now I'm adding another piece. You'll not only see what's going on, that what's going on will change. If nothing else, you'll see that anger hurts. Gee, I don't want to do that as much as I've been doing that, because you see it now. Or you'll see, wow, I'm living a lot of my life with this uh, kind of fear that people won't like me. And that's not very, I don't like it that way. I'd much rather be free of that fear. And so at least there's something that's beginning to shift. But also in the very moment of experience, when one mindfully looks inward and perceives the fear, perceives the desire, perceives the hunger, perceives the hyperactivity and stress, in that very moment of the perceiving, if you don't hop on the train, you know, think all the thoughts that are being pushed out and buy into all the emotions, if you just observe, the train goes by and there's no, no fuel is added. Over and over, as one of my teachers used to say, drop by drop, the water is purified. Just in that simple act, just by not feeding the beast, it gets weaker. Now, fortunately, Each and every one of us is also a, a font, a source of tremendous kindness and generosity. So as you begin to look within, if you're not lost in self-criticism because of all of the craziness of the mind that you perceive when you look inward, you will see sterling qualities, beautiful qualities. And so the overall message then is that as we begin to become more internally aware relationally, that we begin to understand all these things and the heart-mind actually begins to shift. The quality of life changes. The quality of our relationships change. Some of the fears that may have dominated us begin to diminish. Some of the hungers that pushed us may begin to diminish. And what it leaves is not nothing. What it leaves is this kindness and compassion, care, generosity, peace, understanding, good stuff. We have a capacity for such profound wisdom, for such happiness and peace. And when this wisdom is manifesting explicitly with other people, what flows is, is an astonishing and natural compassion.
and care. That's what manifests. And a disentanglement of relational stress that leaves in its wake great, great joy. So maybe it's a matter of recognizing what that goodness looks like in ourselves and in each other. And then we can begin to see it all over the place. And we also can know that the times that we get uh, confused or hurt or act from our delusion um, that that's just a um, another conditioned way of being it's a conditioned habit kind of to you know fall into our old fears and old uh, old ways of self-concern and those those things exist for for good reasons. I mean, you know, we we're all conditioned beings, and there's a lot of a lot of background behind our confusions. But that confusion is it's, it's nothing essential about it. It's just kind of a sometimes a layer over the top of things. And tonight, I'd like to offer us an opportunity to explore that fact. And I'd like to do so uh, with the guidance of a very beautiful and central teaching that the Buddha offered. And it's about the roots of our thoughts. And the Buddha talked about wholesome and unwholesome roots. Roots that, uh, when a thought takes rise with these roots, leads to um, results that are painful, basically. And roots that, when a thought takes rise with this is the basis, gives, gives rise to wholesome actions, wholesome thoughts, and wholesome results, actually. You know, happy results, good results, whatever kind of word you like to use there. You may have heard the uh, kind of triumvirate, if you will, of greed, hatred, and delusion but I'd like to express it in a way that is perhaps brings it closer to our experience and that we can see that the wholesome is sitting there right behind 
these habits of that bring pain, that there's this goodness right there. It's actually very easy to see. And the second unwholesome root is in Pali dosa, usually defined usually hatred, you know, greed, hatred. Again, it's a that's a very, very crude, crude definition. It's the pushing away, it's the aversion, it's the blocking off. It's the, you know, it can manifest as kind of a distaste, a kind of a subtle not liking or not wanting. And it can manifest, again, this full spectrum, it can manifest as full-scale hatred, right? It can manifest in action as anything from not eating your broccoli to murder. Same root. Perhaps you've heard the Zen phrase, the mind with no preferences, you know, seeing things as they are, liberation, the great way, is simple for the mind with, with no preferences. Well, this is the level we're speaking at. So this dosa, this pushing away, this aversive mind, when a thought takes root in aversion, based on this, based in this soil, if you will, or, or growing out of these roots, it almost doesn't matter what it is you're hating. If the aversion is ready to, to blossom, it will blossom. And out in the world, you know, you come home from work and you had a rough day and your kid says, blah, 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 blah. You know, the agitation in the heart that's, has, has conditioned those roots up comes those aversive thoughts, dosa, thoughts rooted in dosa, and out comes uh, action of speech that is, you know, unwholesome, has results, right? Has results for your children, has results for you. So we see again that the pattern is the wholesome root is not affirmatively defined. It's defined as a-dosa, the absence of aversion, the absence of the pushing away. And again, this is very beautiful and very important, and it's something that we can and I hope will experience in a moment. So in the very moment that a thought arises, or that the mind is without, what's conditioned to now and ready to arise is a-dosa, absence of aversion. There is a, the field of awareness, if you will, or the, the quality of mind that is completely without any aversion, which is to say, it's just here and anything that touches it will not be repelled. Right? If you can get that image. It's not sucking. It's not wanting. There's just no repulsion. Okay? So let's make that real now. Such a, such a mind, such a heart, if that's, a, if that's a, a better image for you, 
in Buddhist psychology, it's all, you know, kind of different manifestations of, 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 of mind, if you will. So such a heart is completely receptive, absolutely without aversion, and now is activated by circumstances in the moment, whatever comes up. And if Susan comes up and touches this awareness, this mind that is completely without any aversion at all, completely receptive, and in this touching now, instantly, there's loving kindness. There's loving kindness not as any kind of emotional love, just as this pure, kindly receptivity that is, that is the undefended heart, that is the nature of awareness, you see. This is very important. This is already the nature of this heart-mind. It's essentially right there. It's just touched, and love is there. This, what I'm calling love, this loving-kindness is there this kindliness and receptivity and responsive presence. Now this can manifest, again, in a whole spectrum of ways. But it, anywhere in that spectrum, it's not about emotional love, though. You see, we don't want to get confused with that. It is manifesting as kindness. Right? And it is manifesting as a kind of um, availability to others that that could look like emotional love. It can it can manifest as, you know, I hear you, I really care about you, and it looks like emotional love, but it's really there's no attachment, there's no, you know, there's there's there's, there's no agenda for me in it at all. You see what I'm saying? So I think that we can experience this now. I guess uh, what I, I would like to encourage in you is to enter practice now with, a, with confidence. Drop any assumptions that this is not within your purview. This is not within your capacity. You don't have to go in with the assumption that it is, although that would help, frankly. But at least go in, let's see, let's really see. As we enter into this contemplation of non-greed, non aversion, non-delusion. Um, maybe remember that the quantity of words is not directly correlated with the quality of insight. If you pause and find the truth. The gift that comes out of that silence 
is of great value. If you pause even as you listen, then the quality of the receptivity really conditions the mind to allow the arising of wisdom. So take your time. Be good to yourself, to your partner. And now I invite you to explore the mind of non-aversion. The mind that pushes nothing away. Speaking from experience of your own available heart and what you see even now in your meditation partner. Let, let yourself drift towards fewer words so that again you can catch this quality of the not pushing away that spontaneously becomes something as beautiful as metta, as loving kindness, just upon contact. Contact now, contact in the past, but this is a quality that's already present within you. Non-aversion. Nothing kept out. The thoughts, words, and deeds that manifest from this. The wholesome, the wholesome root of non-aversion. Blossoming in what? And as you practice, you might emphasize relax and open. Relax and let the mind open to be fully present with the other. Moving internally, sure. No good practice to move internally and find that truth, but opening again and again to the between, to the mind here and now of non-aversion, non-keeping out. So we've been exploring in words the cessation of hunger. We've been exploring the nature of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Now what we're going to do 
is experience this directly. We already know in our minds, or at least we might find it believable, I should say, that each of us experiences thoughts, moments of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. What we're going to do now is contemplate this already arisen, this already cultivated aspect of our being. It's already here. This is a wonderful opportunity to extend beyond mundane conversation and to really practice now. Really golden opportunity. Speaking from habit veils the moment. Meeting others in this moment not only reveals its astonishing beauty and complexity, but it can be liberating. So we offer each other the gift of stillness and we speak from stillness. What does that mean to speak from stillness? We give the gift of balance, speaking and listening balance. So now we explore together the love that we have already cultivated in our lives. That availability to another that is not dependent upon them being our child or our spouse or our close friend, but definitely includes that. The availability to experience the love for ourselves, the kindness internally. And more and more now, I want to invite you to bring this practice into this room and this moment. We can certainly speak of the love in our lives outside of this room and outside of this moment, and we can speak that with mindfulness. But we can also notice, given sufficient silence and pause, the availability to each other now. And let that grow and become further activated and more robust by being called to awareness. I urge you to pause and give space for the unexpected. 
really trust emergence. Let the stillness reveal emergence. Let it come out of hiding from behind the habits. Revealing itself right now as loving kindness. The loving kindness that's already been cultivated in our hearts and reveals itself here and now and in our lives. I'm going to invite all of us into a larger circle now for this next contemplation. But before we do that, I want to invite you to just open your awareness from the internal to the external. Be present with the group that you're in. Look at the people you're with and contemplate the loving kindness in their hearts and your own, just in silence. It's a very common, uh, readily available teaching. But to the extent that we only recognize the grosser aspects, the aspects that manifest in action or even in thoughts that uh, develop enough to be really um, noticed and you know felt or thought about we're missing the um, deep psychological subtlety and impact I think of this teaching it's true that this lobha, dosa, and moha in Pali, the greed, hatred, and delusion, or raga would be lust, hatred, and delusion, or aversion and delusion. It's true that this is offered as referring to that which can be readily seen in a mundane way. And just on that basis as a kind of a moral guide it's very helpful but repeatedly the Buddha offered this teaching explaining that these were three roots or hetu roots of thought And that thoughts that spring from the mind of pulling towards, pushing away, and foggy indifference lead to unwholesome results. Right? So it's a real cause and effect, a very basic, basic level. We've been looking at 
both in experience and through a talk or two, uh, tanha, or hunger, craving. Understanding that it's this heaving through our lives that energizes the particular thoughts and actions depending upon our constructs and our outer circumstances. And when these things come together, well, we do things. And often, of course, we suffer. This mind of lobha, dosa, and moha is different from this, which is to say, when we speak about the greed, hatred, and delusion, we're speaking about each moment of thought. So you could think of it as tanha is the tidal forces of the mind, and greed, hatred, and delusion are the waves, the waves on those tidal forces, on those tides. In response to the outside world, which is to say, when there's contact, what arises? The pulling towards, the pushing away, or the foggy indifference. And when contact occurs, which is to say, this coming together of the sensed, the sense base, and consciousness when these come together in that moment that defines touch. There can be this conditioning uh, force of tanha, but every instant of thought generated from this, from greed, hatred, and delusion, rides on pushed by that energy, generates the next moment and the next moment and the next moment as thought notices itself or reacts to its own circumstances, to its own constructs. And we can illustrate this very simply with any number of examples. But what will be helpful to really understand the extent to which this mind goes off on its own and conduces to suffering is to also see the close coupling of contact and of course any aversion whatsoever. It's the same raw element we find in the pushing away of our own thoughts in self-judgment as we find in the murderer. So we see that self-judgment is a kind of murder, right? And so these are, these are very subtle as well as obviously very gross. We know from our own behavior and from looking at the world how gross it can be. So I don't need to talk too much about that.
And because we're engaged in interpersonal meditation practice, it's particularly poignant to observe or to ponder and ultimately to observe that the greed, hatred, and delusion that arises in interpersonal contact has this power that you've been observing in your practice of the complexity of these constructs we have about self and other. So aversion can become hatred, right? Just the pushing away can actually become specific hatred in the moment the thought blossoms of, let's say, judgment or actual dislike. It's not just that one moment. It's fed and amplified. And then it's uh, fed, amplified, and sort of um, in the recycling through the body-mind can grow into a full-blown action, even to the point, of course, of killing and, and so on. But it's all that impulse following impulse following impulse. So, touching back to an aspect of the teaching that I suspect most of you have heard, but just to connect it here. When there is pleasant contacts, the lobha, the wanting, arises. When there is unpleasant contacts, the aversion, the pushing away, I do not want this unpleasant contact, arises. And when the contact is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, as you've experienced, the mind more or less checks out. And that's delusion. So in our practice, I'll invite us to contemplate this movement of the heart-mind in, in these elemental terms. To not just say, oh yeah, um, sometimes I get angry. But to take advantage of the clarity of the meditating mind. To touch the finer grain of experience, both in the memory and in this moment. The aversions, the desires that arise here and now, and knowing the nature of the mind to, to be pulled, to be wanting to be pushed away in aversion, to be deluded.
we're going to explore this insight dialogue meditation instruction speak the truth and before I move into the instruction on the guideline I just want to say something about the first contemplation that you can explore as I speak what I'm talking about, which is consciousness, sense consciousness, consciousness that arises with each moment of sense contact, vanishes when a new contact arises. So, this is a subtle thing because it's so quick. The manifesting of something like mindfulness or awareness is a, let's say, meta-phenomenon. But the instant-by-instant instant changing, rising and vanishing, can be happening without mindfulness. So we're not confusing mindfulness and consciousness. Mindfulness, you know that you're aware of this or that foundation, this or that object. You know that you're aware, you can be aware of the awareness you can be conscious of something without knowing you're aware. The normal deluded being is nevertheless experiencing one conscious moment after another, yeah? So consciousness as the cognizing of the world, as that component of experience that, uh, shall we say, enables the world into being. seeing. Consciousness arises with eye contact. Consciousness arises with ear contact, mind contact, and jumps around mercilessly, automatically. You might try going back and forth of intentionally noticing, let's say, a body contact and, let's say, a thought. 
consciousness is constantly rising and vanishing, impermanent, subject to change, not under your control. It's just part of the sensitive human experience, that's all. So this will be your first contemplation for the first speaker, noticing as best you're able, consciousness moving from one thing to another. And of course, now that you're meditating, there's mindfulness with it. But you might catch all those little movements that you didn't catch just because I'm telling you this. So while you're busy, let's say, noticing hmm, consciousness arose with body contact where the touching of the chair is happening, that at the same moment, there's this interleaving of a moment of seeing, a moment of hearing, another moment of seeing, another moment of feeling something else much quicker than we can possibly describe. And it's woven together into this feeling of wholeness, but there's so much going on that we miss the details of because the mind is relative, the thinking mind, the noticing mind is relatively slow. So let that be your impossible assignment. So let's talk about Speak the Truth. We know that this is the truth known by mindfulness, which is to say the subjective truth, which is to say present moment experience. So to speak without mindfulness is, it's not possible to speak the truth to meditate while speaking. We have this doorway, speak the truth. So I'm going to offer a very specific, let's call it a mode of practice for you. And the more rigorously you hold to it, I believe the better chance you'll have of touching speak the truth. In this first round, you're invited to pause and only speak directly from the pause. If there's no pause, there's no truth. So let the pause be the place where you have sufficient subtlety with this contemplation to get a little bit closer to the reflection on consciousness as such. Pause right there. Speak the truth. If you speak for a long time, almost for sure, a zillion other conscious moments have happened. You're off on a toot somewhere, pause, speak the truth. 
speak the truth. For the listener, let the emphasis be on pause and listen deeply. Just receiving, being the receptive field for this subtle practice of your partner. Consciousness rising and vanishing. Consciousness at the ear door, consciousness of hearing. And other moments for sure will be interleaved of body, of uh, the felt responses that come. So mind consciousness and body consciousness working together to create the felt experience. Pause and listen deeply, receptive. So the speaker, consciousness is noticed, pause, and from the pause, speak the truth. Now we're going to explore Speak the Truth directly from open. So that means you are engaging, let's say, if necessary, the discipline or the patience to establish open and speak through it. And if it's not there, don't speak. So take your time. There's no taking turns. You're both in, you know, the breadth of awareness together. And the contemplation is now aversion and non-aversion as it arises. So for example, let's say you're in open and you find the contact too tender and the, you notice a pulling away of the mind, of the eyes, of the attention. Establishing open, speak from open of this experience as it's happening. If you notice that there is um, a non-aversion, which is a, a field of just receptivity of awareness, not pushing anything away, then you can describe that from and through open. And as you're listening, if your partner is speaking, you are of course cultivating open and noticing moment by moment aversion, non-aversion. So the practice is continuous whether you're speaking or not speaking. Giving particular attention to open, speak the truth, truth of the moment.
and I'd like to offer this thought just to uh, condition your thinking, your practice, your meditation as we move towards this turning. And it's really just a couple of questions. One is what is the mind of non-greed, the mind of non-hatred, the mind of non-delusion? These are the three wholesome roots. We explored the unwholesome roots, right? So, alobha, adosa, amoha. Just contemplate that. And then perhaps even more subtle is this question. What is the mind without hunger? Without craving? No hunger. Not for pleasure. Not for being, becoming, existing. Being seen, any of it. No hunger to escape. No fear of being seen. So you can ask yourself this. in your sitting, in your walking, but also even when thoughts vanish and there's just the moment of experience without thought, when thought re-arises, recurs, what's the flavor of that moment of non-hunger. when we talk about something like freedom or liberation. We so quickly create something in the mind that then it's far away. And I find myself sitting here thinking about where to begin when everywhere I could start reveals the immediacy of our potential.
our potential for happiness, for freedom, for all that flows when we're not bound up, like generosity and love and compassion. You can start anywhere. And it doesn't seem distant, it doesn't seem obscure. All of these uh, ways that the Buddha spoke about these things were always framed as non-something. non-greed or the end of craving or hunger. The vanquishing of ignorance. Things like that. And maybe that's why it seems so distant because It's a non-something. And we get the idea from a non-something that, if we're not careful anyway, that uh, it's kind of a dull, gray, nothing. And yet, Sometimes we have experiences that tell us otherwise. And it might just be something like a, a relaxed afternoon and we feel really good. We don't really know why. And it's just because we're relaxed. But it's a positive thing. We, we like it. We're happy. Or we go to some social gathering and things are just easy. Not contorted, not confused. Sometimes it might be more obvious, like going to a meditation retreat, let's say and the mind becomes very calm. Sometimes it becomes so calm that bliss arises. Not because we've done anything to uh, intoxicate the mind. In fact, quite the contrary, it's become unintoxicated. unintoxicated from the stress. We've gone through a stress detox and uh, find ourselves really happy. I mean, it may be temporary and so on, but perhaps something is glimpsed just then. And It's in this 
teaching on the teacher's samapada, dependent co-arising, that we see that the whole logic of it is just that, that when there isn't this, that doesn't arise. And it's that simple. But where do we get a handle in it in our actual lives? By actual lives, I mean whether we're on retreat or off retreat, it doesn't matter. I'm not excluding meditation retreat either. And if we come again to this life as and where we live it, this life with its whole sensorium, all the touches and sights and contacts, the immediate problem is the reaction of greed, or all that wanting, and then, of course, things change and we can't have it anymore, or we can't quite get all we want, and, you know, and the aversion when something unpleasant comes up, and the pain that comes, and the pushing away, and the stress of, oh my God, it's going to come back, or whatever. So right there, all of those stresses begin to cloud the mind with noise. So we talk about, or shall I say the Buddha talks about, and therefore we talk about, something as simple as non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. And the reason that's such a powerful statement, powerful concept, is that it's a it refers to that mode of being from which so much positive can arise because there's absolutely no grasping no no i shouldn't say grasping there's no wanting and in the absence of wanting in the absence of wanting what of any kind, there's no impediment, no impediment to the mind, there's no impediment to giving, to sharing freely, because nothing is wanted, nothing is owned, nothing is uh, driving the mind with its noise. And in the absence of aversion, we see that the mind is completely open and available, the heart undefended, because there's no pushing away, no pushing out, no pushing out of other sensations, but also no pushing out of people. There's no aversion to human beings through this 
sensorium, through this experience, this lived experience. And in the absence of pushing away, then the natural manifestation of awareness can occur, which is that receptivity, which is the love, and nothing is in the way. That's all. It's, it's quite radical. And when the mind is not deluded, the world can be known. Wisdom may not have arisen yet, but now wisdom can arise because we're not checked out. We're not vacant. We're not dull. So the encounter with the world is in immediate, unmediated by the fog of delusion. So one gets a sense, one begins to get a picture of a life that is lived without all of this uh, gunk in between the experience of contact, of being touched, of, of pasa, and the sensation, the, the, the actual experience of feeling. is uncolored by those responses. So already we begin to get, right, even in this one little piece, we begin to get a picture that is, rather than dull and featureless, it's actually extraordinarily vivid. Because if we, if we feel that letting go, relinquishment, is a path to a kind of a featureless, uh, dull absence, then what's to inspire? What's to really... Um, invigorate. When we talk about this path, the first thing that is usually said, rightfully so, is the first noble truth, is the truth of suffering. Why? Because as long as we think that this is as good as it gets, we're not going to do anything. And the truth of suffering is just looking at that hunger and greed, hatred, and delusion and ignorance and all that stuff actually hurts and that we're largely ignorant, that's the avijja, of the fact that it even hurts. And we're probably almost entirely ignorant of the fact that the reason it hurts is because of this hunger and this greed, hatred, and delusion and so on. We don't know that. That's the ignorance. So we can see that the greed, hatred, and delusion that comes up out of this life in the flesh, in the absence of that, is something quite stunning and vivid, a life unburdened, 
So if we can imagine a life where this is known, it doesn't mean the mind no longer constructs. It means it's not believed. That's all it means. The brain is still a brain. There's still neural networks. The Buddha had neural networks. He just didn't believe them. It was Mara. He said, oh, Mara, I see you. And so, in the same way that when the hunger is diminished, gone, I don't care what you, you know, how far you want to take it, and greed, hatred, and delusion not manifesting, when this ignorance is not present, there's a a brightness and luminosity of the mind that is unimpeded. We just experience the totality of this life in a way that is unimpeded. Which doesn't mean, it doesn't refer to more sensory pleasure. This this uh, statement of the Buddha is really very telling and very, very simple. I know all about um, mundane happiness, sensory happiness. And I know all about the super mundane happiness, the elevated happiness the spiritual happiness, whatever word you want to use, and the spiritual happiness is better. Actually, very blunt, very, very blunt, says, I know them both, and this one's better. So, it's just that it's not, it doesn't fit with our map of um, seeking sensory and social pleasure. It's just a different map. And if we're ignorant of that map, then we're going we're gonna to just interpret that happiness in terms of our mundane pleasures, because that's all we can think of. Now, coming to something that will give us confidence, something that will, will perhaps even bring us to the edge of confidence and arouse faith is something like experience. So we do whatever we can do to gain some understanding and some diminishing of these factors. For example, we come to a retreat. We have some time to calm down. And when the mind calms down even a little bit, it feels pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, it does to me. It's actually very pleasant to calm down. And as the mind calms down more, there's greater pleasure. And it's the pleasure of the lifting of that weight and the ending of that noise that has been 
a battering that was so constant we didn't know it was happening. And it stops and it's incredibly beautiful. And if we can begin to appreciate what burdens have already been lifted and through whatever means to touch a finer experience of this life, a happier experience of this life, this can inspire us very directly, very powerfully. And here we can come back to Paticca Samapada. In a moment when ignorance is simply not manifesting, there's simply no clinging to I am. The whole world vanishes, falls away. The whole world of suffering is, is, is gone. And we can even take that to a more everyday more subtle freedom of just when this mind in any moment is not holding, like now, maybe. Just like that. Just pause, basically. Just nothing else. Nothing else. It is that simple. But that brings us to this conditioned being, this sankara pachaya vijnanam, consciousness taking rise based on all of this conditioning of this body, your genetics, your hormones, right? And whatever uh, neural networks have been constructed over the course of a lifetime that have you reaching out and wanting and being scared and being insecure and all of that. This is still to be factored in, let's say. And so the gradual practice, gradual progress, this is what it refers to. And so while there may be this awakening, it may also be the case that that these other forces come and reconstruct the self. That doesn't mean, A, that in any moment that we are, that there is a letting go, that that isn't a moment of freedom. It is, truly. And it also doesn't mean that those cascading moments, those avalanches, like what you're talking about, the dramatic spiritual insight, just because the, the self reforms does not mean that it's a meaningless experience. Again, it's one of those things where you say, oh, 
I'm believing in myself now, but I really didn't before, and I know how that felt. And it was great. It was, it, and it is possible. The insight was true. I could feel it. I'm a little out of touch with it now, but I could feel it, right? And so now the heart gains a sense of direction. It says, oh, wow. I didn't even know that that existed before. Just like, uh, you know, a, a, let's say a schizophrenic may not know what it's like to not be a schizophrenic. And if he or she could know that and remember it, maybe it would provide some perspective to this deranged life, this painful deranged life. It's like that. And, and actually, now that I'm saying all of this, this is quite relevant to the ending of retreat in a couple of days. Because in our work together, supported by these circumstances of this retreat center, supported by the teacher and the practice, the Dhamma, supported by each other, we're uh, enabling, opening the door to uh, qualities of mind, of heart, that are not normal in our lives. Most obviously, being with other people and profoundly mindful and tranquil. Kind of temporarily free, let's say. But when we leave here, agitation and our lifestyle will reassert into, into the mind, you know, various things that are less clear, more stressful, stressed. But does that mean that some moment of understanding or some deeply felt sense of, of release has not impressed itself upon the body-mind? It has, absolutely. And that that's true and that can be trusted. So to understand the difference, we don't go home trying to grab on to these mind states and say, okay, now I'm going to be this way. And that would be just as foolish as we do when we go to our silent retreats, which is what we do. We say, oh, this is really great. And we go home and it's not great anymore and we get all upset. Not like that. There's an opening into the heart of some kind of insight that is true. And, and there's a genuine relinquishment of some of the views that have confined us and some of the hungers that have driven us. A genuine diminishing. Genuine. And now we need to support that with our, the entirety of our lives.
So to understand the importance of that, we want to touch the, the mind, the heart, let's say, of aversion. This sense of holding at a distance, pushing away. And when that's gone, something very interesting comes out. The way that the these qualities also create a potentiality for an active kind of movement of the mind. So we have the dosa, the aversion. And if you could really feel the pushing away that is aversion, something unpleasant touches. You know, someone's yelling at you. Ugh. You know, it's, it's the uh, you have a, a, a horrible odor from something your dog did, and it's like, oh, that's so gross. Get me out of here. It's aversion. The mind is pushing away. Could be anything. It's the feeling that you can touch of. The aversion. And the counterpart is simple. It's ah, dosa, non-aversion. So here we are, let's say, with a human being, and there's no aversion, meaning there's no pushing away at all. So our being together, you are being fully received. Nothing is being held back. Nothing's being rejected. So there's no fear. There's no distaste. There's nothing that would hold you out of this heart, this mind. And now, this, you might say, open, undefended heart being touched by another just the response to another is this kindness, is this loving kindness. So it's the activation of the heart that's simply touched by the world, touched by another. And this is metta, loving kindness. There's nothing to make you see? It's a-dosa that is just activated in contact with another. So, we're coming here to something that's very, not only beautiful, but potent. Because what this tells us is that just the quality of awareness itself when undefended, receives and vibrates with loving kindness. So it's an inherent quality of the mind, of the heart mind. And the power in this is that 
it gives us confidence that we can relax these defenses of the heart. We can learn to meet and receive the world. And that the spontaneous response of the heart-mind will be this kindness. We can let go of any notion of something like, I'm not loving, I don't know how to love, I don't know what love is, um, any of this stuff. It's actually, it makes no sense at all. One could say, my heart feels defended. One could say, um, I find myself distracted all the time and therefore not present with people, and so I don't feel love. Sure. You know, welcome to being human. This is what we do. We, we move through all kinds of challenging movements of the heart, and we all have backgrounds that are complicated. That's just life. You know, that's just how it is. But in meditation in particular, we have this opportunity to become, you might say, intimate with the workings of the mind. And we can see pushing away, pulling towards, pushing away, pulling towards, turning off, turning off, pushing away, turning off, pulling towards, happening. We can feel the tension in this. We can feel the squirrely mind running around in its cage. But to time and again have this opportunity to meet that, to receive that, to allow that, is to allow it to relax, to allow it to um, unbind and nothing else has to be done. Concentration comes naturally. Love comes naturally. Mindfulness comes naturally. Energy comes naturally. Joy comes naturally. There is for sure a call from us for diligence because these habits of pushing away, of grabbing, that do separate us from this loving kindness, that do separate us from each other. These are deep habits, right? So we do things that will help us uh, to release the habits of tension the habits of isolation and separation and fear, the habits of grabbing and wanting and insecurity. And the specific practices of meditation have this power to penetrate through the layers of these fabrications and this crazy tension so that we can maybe for a moment taste Oh, that's possible? 
my mind can settle down, I can be present with another person outside of the grabbing and the fear, I can be present to my own thoughts, there is some quality of this sweet stillness that's available to me, meditation can offer that. Because those habits don't break easily. But throughout the whole process, all the way to the dawning of really profound wisdom and really the natural flow of compassion that comes with it, we can know that there's nothing we have to fabricate underneath. It's just relaxing out of the storm that we constantly recreate. So you might explore that in your life. You know, you might look at what's the quality of awareness now? Am I receiving? Am I pushing away? Am I grabbing? How does it feel? And see what's true for you. But know that you're tapping into quite a deep wisdom tradition with this simple exploration. A tradition that you can found woven throughout this connection between awareness and love, connection between wisdom and compassion. It's all there. It's quite something we're doing when we meditate and bring the clarity and the simplicity and one might say something like the power of the clear mind of mindfulness together with this very humble human experience. And that fact seems to be even more uh, important or interesting or pointed when we bring awareness together with the moment of interpersonal contact where this humanity is so easily confused and touched and hurt and joy, you know, made with joy and so on and so forth. And at that contact with, of you might say, life as it actually is and the clear mind. The way the mind responds is what makes the world. And we know the negative side of this, or shall I say the painful side of this, when I see you and have 
desires and aversions and, you know, all of the sad story of the grasping and hurting that is actually normal for us. This is how we usually live, is in this uh, kind of being slapped around by experience with our wanting and our not wanting. You all know what I'm talking about. I'd like to invite us to look for a moment at when the moment is experienced and what arises is not unwholesome, but profoundly wholesome, which reveals, I think, something very important and very inspiring uh, about this path, about the human experience, actually. But what I really want to focus on is adosa, the absence of aversion. And it's essential to understand dosa, aversion, not in the sense of hatred, like about people or things or any of that, but in the sense of the pushing away mind, aversion, the don't want, get out, keep away quality of dosa. So now we can explore for a moment the mind of adosa. And we can look into our own experience, our own hearts, our own minds, for where this is actually real for you, right? As I'm speaking, for it to not just be um, unnecessary words. So touch as you can the mind, the heart, that pushes nothing away. Because we're talking, when we talk about lobha, dosa, and moha as roots of thought, we're talking about just the most fundamental and quickest aspect of that thought taking root, right? Taking, taking birth on this root. So it's, you might say, infinitely fine, right? It's at the finest grain of the mind. You know what I'm saying? So the mind completely with no pushing away, no aversion, completely receptive, nothing keeping anything out. Now this mind, this potential, this field of awareness without aversion is touched. Touched by, I'm going to say specifically, another sentient being, another human for example, and touched and completely responsive, right? That's the non-aversion, adosa. That's the potential field we're talking about. Touched awareness is inherently responsive, and that field is activated to the wholesome quality of metta, of loving kindness. You know what I'm saying? That, that there's the simple response of the heart, of the heart-mind. So if we understand this relationship of adosa to metta, of non-aversion and its activation in loving-kindness, it says something, I think, very valuable about our meditation practice and about really meeting life. We can see a relationship here between loving-kindness and just awareness. 
So awareness is this res responsiveness. And it really, you might say it this way, it really takes very little for this responsiveness to activate as love. Or you could say the responsiveness of awareness to the sentient beings is inclined towards loving kindness. This is this can be a very um, valuable reflection. It says I don't have to make anything. I cultivate loving kindness because I have so much aversion in the heart. No problem. Loving kindness, metta, can still be cultivated very productively. But when the aversion is faded and there's the awareness is available, you see, it's, the, it's this natural responsiveness. See, we often put a real burden on ourselves, for example, in thinking... I should be more loving, or I'm not loving enough, or I wish I could cultivate metta better, or, you know, something like this. What a burden. What a terrible burden. When to simply dwell with the awareness open and responsive is all that's called for. That's the whole thing. And it's also compassion. That's obvious, right? Touched by another's pain, the heart vibrates. That's all. Touched by another's joy, the heart vibrates. That's all. Mudita. Nothing fabricated, you see? And, of course, in wisdom, balanced in equanimity. So it's not as though these Brahma-Viharas are out there somewhere, something to be um, constructed. We do construct them and there's a wholesome, that's, that has a wholesome um, intention and, and works. It works to do that. But at its base, let's look at this teaching that the Buddha offered on the nature of the mind and maybe take some confidence in both the capacity of the of this heart-mind to dwell in this quality that we so treasure and that is so essential and in the same quality in each other. That the person that you may be with when their awareness is unfettered then you're in a field of metta as you're in a field of awareness. So we're talking about now whatever touches experience in this moment, touches awareness in this moment, touches the heart-mind in this moment, is met with not an, a fragment, not an instant of aversion, 
not an instant of pushing away at all. So, which is to say, what is met is just received. So now we can talk about the blossoming of that potential of the receptive heart-mind into the response. And this response is the response of what we would call care, kindness, love. This adosa, we can uh, locate in our experience largely, you know, by comparison to dosa, to the pushing away. The pushing away, the holding at a distance of you, of all of you, of them, of it whether it is a cold wind or it is a cold person. The response in the moment of thought is, eh. It's the basic grunt of dosa. And that's what we're talking about. That doesn't happen. It's the received, whether it's a cold wind or a cold person. Received. Allowed. Nothing has to be made. We don't have to create some, oh, I really, really love all beings and, you know, a kind of, um, I don't know, dripping corn syrup on them or something. And um, that, in fact, in its very constructive nature, is fragile and distancing really strange, isn't it, that we would want to, out of kindness, to cultivate kindness, we would create this distant other that we have to fabricate the love for when it's really at the really simple level of the active heart-mind. It's just this Adosa, this absence of aversion that responds to the other. It's just that response. And now we come to the quality of metta that you see in the discourses that is really most often described in simply the expansiveness. That's really the description that you find in the suttas, above and below and all around or across. But it's through that the qualities, the inner qualities of um, sufficiency and contentment but it is taught as an active quality. It is kind. It, there is care, right? So this is complementary to adosa. It's not, it's not exactly the same, but it's entirely complementary. And it has that, like I said, it, 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 it introduces that expansiveness, the boundlessness to all beings.
So the constructed notions, or shall I say, the notion of love that is a emotional uh, response of my conditioned being to your conditioned being is not to be dismissed as worthless or um, like not okay or something. It's really crucial to living this conditioned life in a in a helpful, wise way. You know, we don't want to uh, distance or dismiss this life as we actually live it. But we're inviting an examination in ourselves and an opening to a quality or qualities of loving kindness that are um, more fundamental, I would say, more universal, not as exclusive. I can love you because we have, you know, this history together, but I can't love you because we don't, you know, that kind of love. So that's this expansive, inclusive quality. And then the adosa, the absence of reversion, brings us right into the moment together. Am I holding you away at all? Here and now. Whatever that is, whatever the source of it is, can I attune to that and allow? Can I soften that holding away? Soften the aversion, the dosa, and receive. Whether I'm holding you away in fear, holding you away in judgment, holding you away in um, just self-obsession, you know, just the shrinking. And then, you know, anything that's not going to serve the, this me is rejected. So, can I touch that and open and allow and receive internally with my own to my own in response to my own experience my own thoughts can those be received is there any pushing away is there any uh, is there any dosa any rejection this internal experience is there any rejection of external and can i be in the both internal and external in this wholeness and Resting in adosa, non-aversion. So we'll see if this is useful. We'd actually like to invite...
invite you to begin by touching into how it feels in the body-mind for the heart to still be defended because this is what uh, separates us. And you're invited to consider perhaps someone in your life and as you bring that thought of that person into the mind now, someone not uh, towards whom you feel a great aversion. That would be way too difficult. Someone that you have a fondness, a care for. But to also touch that very natural response of the body-mind to also push away, to not ignore that. And by all means, not to think that this shouldn't be there. This is also just the response of the organism. This is what we do. This is how we live in this complicated world. One can hardly imagine it otherwise. And we particularly want to emphasize a quality of practice that is inquiring, spacious, um, and enough uh, actual, let's say, silences, those kinds of spaces for you and your meditation partner or partners to touch into this manifestation in its subtlety, to take your time and really, really, really watch for the story. Touch the felt sense. It's really not necessary to confuse yourself with the totality of the story. Adosa, the absence of aversion. But what we're touching first is recognizing this movement of the heart, even with someone towards whom we feel care and fondness and love in that conditioned, beautiful, constructed sense. To also touch where the heart pushes away. Moment by moment, that's what the mind does. To see that as well. Giving the gift of a really fine practice to yourself and your meditation partners.
just as in the silence we can be sensitive to moment-to-moment experience as it comes and goes, touching the mind, touching the body. So it is when we're meditating together. This is what's established in pause, relax, open. Continuing this contemplation just a little longer and letting the the meditation settle in. Maybe watching, you know, as the mind builds all kinds of things on top of this response of dosa, of the pushing away, but just to touch the actual experience and let the words of truth come out of that. like to invite you into a contemplation of those moments when there is no aversion in these relationships. It can be the same relationship, it can be different ones. This is up to you. What truth is emerging here? When for a microsecond or for uh, an ongoing basis. There's simply no pushing away, a complete receptivity. Again, touching in with the meditating mind now and only speaking when you're speaking the truth. Far better to speak a few words from truth than many. From not truth. And as you listen deeply, What is that emergent experience? Can we receive these words of this refinement of the heart? Can we let them touch us? And again, we can be sensitive to when the mind wants to come up and build the story around it 
This is natural. The mind does this. Fine. Just to know this and come and drop down into experience. Atosa. No pushing away. The natural response of the heart becomes available, manifests. Take your time. As you settle into this practice, into this contemplation, you might explore what the qualities are of this the dawning, if you will, of adosa, the, the letting go, the surrender the spontaneous emergence. However it manifests for you. And to invite the awareness to know the that purely receptive quality of the heart that's spontaneously present when there's simply no pushing away. Nothing to be fabricated. To touch that. From your experience, all of us have experienced this in moments. Sometimes it grows in our lives, sometimes it seems more absent. But to bring the meditative awareness to this, together with the support of our co-meditators, this is our opportunity now. Listening deeply, receiving now, When the body has some ease, the 
the mind opens more easily. The heart settles. So just noticing how your experience is now. And now we'll invite a contemplation on this dosa and adosa, this aversion and non-aversion, this pushing away, defending, uh, drawing back, and the dropping of it. and the touching of the spontaneous, it's the receptivity of awareness itself. It's the loving kindness of awareness itself, just in the absence of this pulling away. That's all, nothing to be fabricated. But we'll be noticing it here and now between the two or three of you. And there's a number of ways that we can talk about this, but it's all talking about. I'll just offer them as doorways. You really want to touch the actuality of your experience. So just take these as, let's say, suggestions. To notice here and now with your meditation partner where you sense any internal um, contraction or pushing away, and being willing to name it. It's not personal. In this context, we know it's not about me. It's not about them. It's just the movement of response of the heart-mind that does this. It's not personalized. So to notice that when, it, when that arises, to notice when that releases, what that's like, what's the quality of resting without that. Notice as it re-arises and vanishes again. And as you listen to your partner, you can watch the response also of the heart-mind. Is there a personalizing there? Hopefully not, but you know, if there is, that would be natural too. That's usually how we go through the world, taking it on. And so in the listening, we continue to notice the aversion and the non-aversion, the pushing away and the allowing and receiving. That's one way of talking about it. But there's another way of talking about it also relevant, equally relevant. And that's the arising in this moment between or among you when there is the sense of whatever it is has dissolved and there's the resonance and the spontaneous what you might call connection. But in a strict sense we can just say non-separation. There's the co-arising of we in a field of, we don't need to call it loving kindness. We can just say nothing is in the way. And 
we both or all three of us can touch that moment. And when something resonates in it, in that moment, that's what we might call connection, when there's something vibrating in that space that's shared. And that can be named. But also to, to just humbly recognize as human beings, this is not a fixed state. This is a flow of connection and disconnection, of the pushing away and the allowing. And that there's a curious um, approach where the meditating mind simply knows, knows this, recognizes this. There's no judgment one way or another. It's like you're watching uh, an anemone as it moves in the water, responding to the touch and opening again, or the tentacles just moving with the, with the waves and the tide. That's all. And yet, there is a between. So this is a practice of open, but it's really what's happening in the open. Letting the words be sparse enough for experience itself to have the awareness to be continuous, because the words don't have to break it. It can continue as the words are spoken, if we're really settled in our practice. Trusting emergence, what's coming out here? We just don't know. Each moment, we don't know. This practice calls us uh, to the cushion, you might say, where, as in traditional silent, internal, solitary meditation, there's, in the simplest, most bare, penetrating practice, nothing to entertain the mind. It's just being. And, of course, the mind will make things up to keep itself uh, busy. But over time, we're called to settle and just rest with the rising and vanishing, rest with the spaciousness, rest with whatever it is that is the nature of our silent internal practice. So it is here. We're inviting ourselves into being present with another person, with other people. And 
to just dwell with that um, the small pushing away from the heart and the allowing, the flow of connection and disconnection, the attending to the movement of our own hearts internally and externally and opening to that both where this flow is happening. It's so... Um, its challenges in, you might say, the, the bareness of it. Nothing but this. It's always just this. It's not stories about this or stories about, you know, why I like or dislike or can or can't do it or anything. It's just this. The immediate experience. So there's a kind of a patience, you might say, that goes with it. In Pali, the word is kanti, patience. Of course, our normal ways of being with people, all that we've learned, uh, for sure are going to want to manifest. But they too can be known. It's almost a kind of a pulling away by moving towards. The pulling away is retreating into personality and then the moving towards is the kindness of that personality. But what about just the, the dwelling in awareness with? To be curious about that, to be patient with that, see what this is. That's the trusting emergence. That's the not knowing. What is this? This we, this flow. Sometimes allowing ourselves to be baffled. you to sit quietly for a moment as we engage in a expansion of your group. And just noticing as the body-mind adapts to this. And this is exactly our practice now, is this expansion. And You can feel free to name if there's any jerkiness to it or hesitation or joy. But attending to the opening of the heart-mind that is metta, this expansion of the kindness 
that is the more active principle. But whenever there's dosa, whenever there's the aversion, the closing, the fear, the pulling away, of course the metta is unavailable in that moment. That's all. So it's attending to just the feelings of connection, disconnection, separation, non-separation, aversion, non-aversion, here and now. Just very in-the-moment practice. It's a kind of a curiosity and a definite trusting of emergence, watching the emergence of the relational we in this expansion. What a fine, fine opportunity for practice. Opening, trusting emergence. That flow that arises in the between. Remember the sea anemone. When it closes, the nourishment is still surrounding it, but it can't get it. <laughs> the anemone opens and it's all there. So we're just letting go of the speech entirely and dwelling in this awareness now, in the silence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.